Warning, this podcast is not responsible for articles left in your car. Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Clayton. And I am Troy the Flatulent Harkin. And this is our Mystery Men episode. We're recording it on Sunday, July 10th, 2022. And it is scheduled for broadcast on Saturday, August 20th. We do have a special guest for this episode. Ira Naiman is joining us. He was our special guest for our Season 1, Episode 5 podcast on The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and our Season 2, Episode 11 podcast on The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Before that, Troy will give us a spoiler alert. Okay, hold on. Here it comes. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! We made it. Thanks. Troy, we're recording this session via Zoom. In the interest of transparency, Troy and I have known Ira for many years. Here is a bit about our special guest. Ira Naiman writes humor featuring a heavy dose of satire. The Ugly Truth, his eighth novel with Elswin Press, was published in June 2022. His two-dozenth published short story, Girls Rule the Steampunk World, appeared in Brave New Girls, Chronicles of Misses and Machines. In September 2022, Ira will be celebrating the 20th anniversary of the weekly publication of Les Pages au Folle, his website of political and social satire. And Ira, I hope I did not murder the name of your website. Well, I think you may have dinged it a little bit, but it'll survive. <laughs> Thank it, you. Give, it gives it character. Exactly. <laughs> it adds a bit of that panicky, or is that panache? Uh-huh. Um, Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi is a look back to when we fell in love with the speculative genre. To recall these times with fondness and affection. I think a review by Roger Ebert posted in 1999 may have said it best when he said... Mystery Men has moments of brilliance, waving their arms to attract attention in a sea of dreck. It's a long, shapeless, undisciplined mess, and every once in a while it generates a big laugh. Since many of the laughs seem totally in the character of the actors who get them, they play like ad-libs, as if we're hearing asides to the audience. On to Mystery Men. Troy Harkin will give some background, set it in context, before we get into a full discussion on it. Take it away, Troy. Flaming Carrot and Mystery Man creator Bob Burden was born in Buffalo, New York in 1952. It seems at some point he began writing and drawing. His flipper-wearing, vegetable-headed hero, the Flaming Carrot, first appeared in Visions No. 1 in 1979. Two years later, Burden self-published Flaming Carrot Comics No. 1. The Flaming Carrot was a part of the alternative comic book 
boom of the early 1980s, along with titles like Reed Fleming, World's Toughest Milkman, Love and Rockets, Raw, and Lloyd Llewellyn. The Mystery Men, featuring the Spleen, Shoveler, and Mr. Furious, first appeared in Flaming Carrot Comics number 16 in June of 1987. A mint copy of that issue now sells in the $400 range. Burden's superhero squad were, quote, blue-collar, second-string roughnecks and goofballs with mediocre powers, outcasts that couldn't make it into the major leagues, but nonetheless saved people, risked everything, and fought evil. Burden commented that our theme was do the best you can do with what you've got. Never leave a pal behind. Lost causes are sometimes the best ones and keep it fun. I'd say Flaming Carrot was to the regular superheroes what Huckleberry Finn was to Tom Sawyer. The mid to late 1990s saw Hollywood studios gobbling up superhero properties. At the time, 30-plus comic titles were obtained by the majors. Bob Burden's Mystery Men was one of the projects signed and greenlit, sadly, without the flaming carrot. But The film was written by Neil Cuthbert, who previously gave the world Return of the Swamp Thing and Hocus Pocus. Mystery Men was directed by Kinka Usher, who was renowned for his humorous television commercials. It was his first feature film. Initially, Danny DeVito was approached to direct and star in the film. After he walked away from the project, Ben Stiller was offered the film. Also to direct and star in. Stiller did not want to direct the film, so he bowed out. It wasn't until Janine Garofalo came on board as one of the leads that she was able to persuade Ben Stiller to join the cast of Mystery Men. Shooting began on October 21st of 1998, and ran until April of 1999. Stiller had said, the script was being reworked all the time by everybody because everybody kind of wanted to personalize their part and try to make it as funny as possible. So yeah, that was welcome. And I think Hank Azaria, myself, Paul Rubens, Janine Garofalo were probably most involved in that process for our characters. We're used to working that way. Bob Burden made himself available both on and off the set to help resolve script problems. If the filmmakers had an issue while shooting, they sent Burden a fax asking for help. Producer Lloyd Levin said, The great thing about him is that 10 minutes later we'd get 30 pages in the fax machine with probably 29 pages filled with the lousiest ideas that you've ever read, but that one page of pure genius. Here then is the synopsis from the back of My Mystery Men DVD case, which was written in the tiniest font possible. The strongest comedy cast in history has become the strangest superhero team ever in Mystery Men. Ben Stiller, Janine Garofalo, Hank Azaria, William H. Macy, Greg Kinnear, Jeffrey Rush, and Paul Rubens join forces in this wild, funny, and thoroughly original misadventure. When Captain Amazing champion city's legendary superhero falls into the hands of the evil madman casanova frankenstein and his disco dancing henchmen there's suddenly a chance for the aspiring superheroes to show what they can do they're the mystery men a ragtag team of superhero wannabes featuring mr furious whose power comes from his boundless rage the shoveler a father who shovels better than anyone 
the blue Raja, a fork-flinging mama's boy, the bowler who fights crime with the help of her father's skull, the spleen whose power is pure flatulence, invisible boy who's only invisible when no one is watching, and the sphinx, a cliché-spewing philosopher. With its outrageous adventure, incredible cast, and hip alternative humor, Mystery Men is so irresistibly funny and appealing, seeing it just once will never be enough. Mystery Men was released theatrically on Thursday, August 6, 1999, and remained in cinemas until October. It was made for $68 million U.S. and grossed approximately $33 million. Mystery Men had the misfortune of playing during the spooky one-two punch of the Blair Witch Project and The Sixth Sense, which had people wanting more horror, not superhero yucks. Between them, those two films grossed $922 million. Some will remember that the summer of 1999 also saw the release of a little film called Episode One, The Phantom Menace, the most financially successful film of the year, bringing in over $431 million in its first 10 weeks. So it is often said that Mystery Men was ahead of its time and would not be out of place among films like Kick-Ass, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Deadpool, wherein heroes and humor go hand in hand. The one thing that would separate Mystery Men from those three films is its insistence on anti-violence. Kenneth Turin of the LA Times wrote, Influenced by its betters, films such as Brazil, Buckaroo, Bonsai, and even Blade Runner, it's destined to join them all in cult film heaven. And David, that is the background on Mystery Men. Thanks a lot, Troy. Ira, I was wondering if you can um, tell us how you were first introduced to Mystery Men. Oh, absolutely. And this, uh, I think, will help fill in some of the, the history of the, uh, of the comics, certainly. Um, I was actually a big fan of a comic book called Cerebus the Aardvark, um, which was uh, a Canadian uh, indie comic by uh, a guy named Dave Sim. Uh, and it was published by his publishing company called Aardvark Vanaheim Press. Um, his wife, uh, Denis LeBaire, uh, convinced him to expand Aardvark Vanaheim into publishing other people's comic books. Uh, and so they published a whole bunch of stuff. The, the um, Silent Invasion, uh, Normal Man, um, all great stuff. I just, uh, I ate it all up. And one of their titles was uh, Flaming Carrot. Um, so I started uh, buying Flaming Carrot. And of course, uh, as Troy mentioned in... Um, in issue 16 of Flaming Carrots, the, the mystery men uh, were unveiled. It was disappointing to me, as it was, I think, to many people, that uh, Flaming Carrot did not get into the movie of Mystery Men. Um, I still hold out hope that maybe we'll get a Flaming Carrot movie at some point. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's kind of the short answer of how I got uh, interested in Mystery Men. So I'm wondering, Ira, you know, being a, a fan, if you could have anybody attached to that film, a Flaming Carrot film, to direct, who would you want to see direct that? <laughs> um, that's 
an interesting question. Uh, maybe David Lynch? Bob Burden has a very, very specific kind of voice, a very specific vision of what, um, of what a, a superhero comic uh, can and should be. And um, I do think that they captured that quite well in Mystery Men. Um, it has some elements that kind of jar, that kind of stick out from Burden's vision, but for the most part, uh, I think they captured it really, really well. After rewatching this, guys, did did any of you feel like you would like to have seen either, uh, you know, a, a sequel or a spinoff with any of the characters? Anybody you would like to see get a standalone film? For me, I, I'll be I'll, I'll fess up. This came out of of me wanting to see a bowler film. Yeah, I mean, I know that we're told that she's going to take her money and go to college, but I imagine it is one of those situations where she does that, and then of course. You know, uh, well, like the Transformers guy. Remember, the Transformers guy goes to college or whatever it is. That didn't end the franchise. Stuff happened. At Unfortunately, college. no. <laughs> 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 yeah. If only they had lived happily ever after. Yeah. Mm. But I know that we're all big. Well, I don't know about you, Ira, but I know David and I are big uh, Janine Garofalo fans. So, uh, um, yeah, that's that's who it would have been for me. How about you? Actually. Mm-hmm. I actually think maybe a a, a Sphinx pre uh, prequel. Oh yes. So how he became the Sphinx. Yeah, and what's interesting is you find out like as you're watching, like I think maybe this is only in the deleted scenes that you find this, but there's reference to them uh, being around for 12 years um, before this film, and so that would be the, the original uh, trio of characters. Um, so that, that could be interesting too, like a, uh, a prequel to, to mystery man. I like what, I like what you're saying, Ira. I, I like the, because that whole, like, how does he come up with all of it? How does he become who he is? Like he is such, he is the mystery kind of thing. He is the one that people said, Hey, we need to bring him in to actually make us better. And then Mr. Furious is the one that's seeing through all of this stuff. And he says, well, no, you, you know, you're going to say this. Well, that's just the opposite of this. And it's quite, I think it's quite brilliant, the, uh, that scene. Although at the same time as, as Mr. Furious is saying that, um, the Sphinx is, is uh, training the, the Raja uh, on how to use his skills. And you get a sense that actually they do become better for having, um, for having in, uh, interacted with uh, with the Sphinx, that's right. And he does save their lives because he does. They did mention something. Well, the Sphinx does this, but he can also do this, which is something about breaking up gun, which we didn't understand. And then suddenly, there's a scene where he actually does help out. So one of the things that I wanted to jump in right away because I did read that quote off the top, where about um, Roger Ebert just not getting it. Now he also didn't get buckaroo bonsai even though he did appreciate and he thought it was very good and there were certain parts that were good and he just prefers something that makes sense throughout the whole thing and go and and i think the, the a lot of the series and a lot of these things that are on tv now are much better at doing that than than in the past like when things that you see on netflix and these other series hbo and so on are su- at such a high level because the the, the the bar has been set so high 
that you can't get by with the script like Mystery Men without it being even better. So one point I wanted to make is you either love it or hate. Now, for me, I love it. But I can under- understand the point of view of someone who thinks that it didn't quite make it. Yeah, well, it's definitely a quirky film. And that's the thing. If you get quirk and if you love quirk, then you're going to love this film. But if you're sort of straight laced and you just want, um, I don't know, like say a Captain America film, um, you know, this is not your film. You know? <laughs> uh, and if if you like to mix your laughs with your superheroes, again, like it's hard to miss with this film, but not everybody does really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to mention, uh, Ira, I love the films that you have brought to the table for us because this is your, your third time on the show. Um, and you've, you, we've discussed the hitchhiker's guide, Buckaroo Bonsai, and now mystery men. And all three of those have, uh, you know, a great sense of humor to them, a great sense of wonder, um, and an off the off the wall quality. But what really sort of struck me as I was going back and, and looking at the comparisons of some of these films is how these directors, between the three of them, well, we've got um, Hitchhiker's Guide was directed by Garth Jennings, Buckaroo Bonsai, W. D. Richter, and Mystery Men uh, was directed by Kinka Usher. Between the three of them, they've only directed seven films. <laughs> Not for while you can, the monkey boy. And I guess it was uh, Garth Jennings has, has directed four feature-length films, W.D. Richter, two. And again, as we mentioned earlier, this was uh, Kinka Usher's only film. I, th- I found that was an odd uh you know, point to pick out that, uh, you know, these guys who made these films that sort of uh, stand out uh, have not done a lot of other work. Um, so again, you know what? this what's is, up? This is actually really, really common now that you've mentioned it. Um, Paul Cox, who did Repo Man, did not do a lot of films. Um, uh, Peter Medak, who did uh, oh, uh, The Ruling Class, mm. he did not do uh, he did not do another film uh, for at least 15 or 20 years. It just seems to be that, I don't know, people burn out on the quirk or, or they figure, well, I've, I've done my masterpiece. I don't need to do anything else. I'm not really sure why that is, but uh, yeah, that does seem to be very common uh, among the films that I particularly love anyway. Right. And I'm, I have a feeling with, in the case of Kinka Usher, uh, I mean, he, he did very well uh, working in advertising and uh, you know, there's so much work that goes in to a feature film that, Hey, why not, <laughs> why not uh, do a two day shoot for an ad, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and basically have the same payday <laughs> as opposed to what did we say? It was, I think October till April at the, the shoot for uh for for mystery man was um yeah you you may as well um can i jump in for yes. uh, some just quickly just to defend those people who don't like the film don't think it holds up because many of them like roger ebert um who has sadly passed away some years ago 
who recognize the brilliance and recognize how many good things are in it still can't really give it a full thumbs up. When I was going through, because we're going to do a segment later on, we're doing a few things in this show. Uh, one of our recurring segments are these are a few of our favorite words where we'll just each of us will bring some quotes of things that we really like in the movie. And then we're going to do a dream cast and scream cast. But when I was going through all the great lines and all the great moments in the film, I was thinking, wow, there are so many. And I think if this I don't think I think Roger Ebert would have given it a thumbs up, even though it's quirky and it's sort of out of the kinds of films that he likes if it held together a bit better or if it was like in some cases, some films don't quite make it due to whether it's editing or this or that. There's also these kinds of films that are more common nowadays, especially in comedies. What they have is they have some really good comedians. So what they do is they have a general structure. Uh, it's almost like all of these best in show, that whole group, Christopher Guest and that group of people that would do a best in show, then a mighty wind, and then this and that, spinal tap and so on. And what they would do is they would almost do something like, okay, this is the scene, go. And then they would do stuff and then they maybe do the scene again and do it several times and then pick the best thing from it. So I, it, and, and I think Roger Ebert caught it spot on when he mentioned that it seemed like that's what they were doing. Well, I think that's what they were doing in some cases. And your history, Troy, mentioned that they were going together and just trying to figure out the bet. They were getting into their characters. Like, well, what would my character say? What would be funny? What wouldn't be? But there may have been something that was just slightly missing or the way the thing went that went just slightly off a bit, that if it was the perfect film, if it just worked so brilliantly all the way through, then Roger Ebert and other people who don't like it as much would have given it a plus. Yeah, uh, just to follow up on that, uh, two things. Uh, the first thing is um, there is no normal point of view character. So everything about the film is weird and there's nothing that, right. you know, if you're looking for something uh, to latch on to as an audience member to say, okay, you know, this is the normal person that I'm seeing the weirdness through. Um, there's nothing like that in Mystery Men. So, I mean, that may be a contributing factor. But it's also true that when the actors are indulged in um, in finding their own great lines, they may create a series of great humorous lines, but the humorous lines themselves may not be advancing the plot. And so Ebert, who is very much about structure and, and things like that, can look at a film like this and go, yeah, I can see how somebody could laugh all the way through it, and still it's not a great movie. I found that, uh, I, I think I had a very generous spirit going into the film the first time because it was on the heels of, uh, uh, first of all, just for context for people, I think you have to remember this is a long time before the Marvel universe, as we know it a long time before the Avengers franchise, this comes on the heels of two horrendously bad, uh, Joel Shoemaker, Batman films, the Iceman cometh, which, which sort of made you feel like this genre will never survive these films. It's all shit. Uh, it's all one-liners by uh, basically celebrities in costume, and it's just awful. So it was nice to get this thing that that followed those two uh, awful Batman films, uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, um, and it's that didn't take itself 
well, either too seriously or didn't have that cringeworthy uh, self-awareness that those Shoemaker films had. Um, it was just fun. And it was, you could tell the people on screen were having fun. Uh, I, I want to mention if anybody does have access to the DVDs, uh, check out the um, some of the bonus features because Paul Rubin does all of his interviews in character. So he's talking like the spleen to the camera about the writing process. And it's hilarious. It's about misfits. It's about people who really don't fit in, but they have something to offer. The thing I like about him the most is he has great eyes for detail. You know, he's like, a, loves art direction. So, you know, we're not just jumping into this. We're doing like, you know, hours, hours of lighting. Everything has to look just perfect. One of the things that, uh, that, that struck me right away was um, I, I liked it, the way the film visually felt like it was sort of a, an homage to, to other films like that, that I liked, like it definitely, I felt like I was in Brazil in the opening scene when we go into the old age home. It totally reminded me of, uh, yeah, Terry Gilliam's work with Brazil with, uh, with the main character's mother and her plastic surgery, you know, her face is like, I expected that to happen. Um, and I definitely did want more Tom Waits or, originally the scene was longer but most scenes did get tightened up uh also early coen brothers like uh raising arizona i felt it had a a similar uh visual aesthetic um and the coens i believe did do some commercial work prior to their their big screen stuff um and also sam raimi sam raimi's early stuff with all of the moving camera that goes on and there's so many close-ups that I quite like. I, I like the way he will have a character look directly into the camera and then reverse angle and do the same mm-hmm. thing, uh, but kind of unusual. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts from you guys on sort of the look of the film? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. There were uh, a couple of scenes that uh, reminded me very much of Blade Runner, the sort of... Um, uh, yeah. All of the different languages and the street signs and the neon and, and all of that stuff very much. Uh, but this is a film that is, is so rich in, in everything pretty much. Um, there was the scene where we first see, um, the villain, um, uh, Jeffrey Rush's character, Casanova Frankenstein. He has these long black curly locks, yes. long black hair, and he—I I don't know if you noticed—but he's got the classic um, lighting on him, where half his face is very bright and the other half is very dark. And it reminded me of um, one of the uh, the iconic image of um, uh, the uh, rock group Queen. Oh yes, right from the Bohemian Rhapsody video. Is it the? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's from the Bohemian Rhapsody video. Yeah, um, and it's like there, there are all of these kind of visual touchstones. Uh, there are all of these um, uh, lines that are touchstones. There's uh, the comic book. In the comic book, they're very much aware of the DC and Marvel universes. Mm. They mention yes. Uh, you know, heroes from both of them at various points. Um, and there is just, there is one reference in the film, uh, and I forget who it is, but there is a reference to 
one of the major superheroes. And the point, of course, is to make a contrast between the real superheroes kind of up there uh, above everybody's head and the mystery men. Now, what they did, which I thought was really smart, was um, they had Captain Amazing. So you have within the movie itself um, a superhero that they can contrast themselves with and, frankly, be jealous of. Yes. And so on the uh, I'm looking at the front cover of Flaming Carrot Comics number 16, where the mystery men are first introduced, Ira. And and as you mentioned, it says uh, the text over the picture, which is the Flaming Carrot getting his ass kicked literally by uh, by uh, Hitler's feet. Um, It says tougher than the A-team, newer than the new universe, not quite as good as the Watchmen. (laughs) And uh, and I think, yeah, also within it, uh, when I forget the name of his female friends that are basically his like groupies, they're, they're saying, you know, they actually reference directly the Avengers and the Justice League as well. So, yeah. Did anybody else? I don't know if this is something that is actually there that I picked up on if it was intentional, but it, it felt to me like um, when the Sphinx takes uh, the team back for training, they go to this uh, swampy dojo area that looks a little like Yoda's training area on Dagobah. <laughs> Do you think that was a, a little riff on that? I assume that everything is intentional. Yes. So, I and, would, yes. And it seems like the only setting that is is not sort of urban, really, uh, in the film. So, Well, no, uh, you also have Doc Heller's um, uh, area, which is kind of set in the middle oh, yes. of the desert. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, so good. Now, you know what? I want an entire Netflix series of, of Doc Ooh, Heller. Yes. Like, yes. That, that would be brilliant. Uh, supposedly, uh, there's that the scene where the shoveler and the bowler and the spleen uh, go to call on his services. And uh, and you see the first shot you see of uh, Tom Waits, Doc Heller, is he's doing this little dance and he's holding this weird thing that looks almost like a colander. Um, but uh, supposedly Tom Waits collects uh, odd instruments. And this is something that he had found, which is two pie plates uh, welded together with pieces of metal sticking out from it. And you, you, it's almost like playing a wine glass, you know, you, 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 you play the outside of it. And that's actually uh, within uh, uh, that's the audio that you're hearing now. And that's another great thing about this film. It really feels like those old, uh, Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland films where, where they say, you know, let's go make a show. I, I just get that feeling with this film of, of everybody got to contribute um, something. And we heard about the dialogue, but supposedly uh, you were referencing um, Casanova Frankenstein's uh, parole hearing a minute ago, Ira. And in that scene, supposedly it was Claire Forlani who plays Monica, who suggested having the nails, having those super creepy long nails that Casanova Frankenstein has. And the odd thing about that is she's not even in that scene. So uh, you know how it works. If you're not in the scene, you're not on the set, um, I would assume. Um, So I don't know if that came out of a table read of the script or something, but a really nice addition from uh, Claire Forlani. 
I wanted to just quickly mention some of the people that are in this film because beyond the main characters, mm. the actual mystery men, you have Lena Olin as Dr. Annabelle Leak, Eddie Izzard, who's excellent as Tony P, Artie Lang as Big Red, Claire Falani as Monica, Tom Waits, who is incredible as Doc Heller, uh, Louise Lasser as Violet, Ricky Jay, who's one of my favorite character actors of all time. Um, as uh, Vic Weems, uh, Jennifer Lewis as Lucille, who TV Guide refers to as a national treasure. Michael Bay, the director, and he had already directed a number right. of major films, is a frat boy in it. And CeeLo Green, huh. uh, the rapper, is in it. So it's quite the uh, cast. I don't know if you guys have any comments about the the, the supporting cast. Sure. Well, how about you, Ira? Um, I was surprised. I, I rewatched the film last night and I was surprised uh, to see people like Eddie Izzard in it. Um, just uh, the, the depth of talent in, in the film. Now it also occurs to me though. I mean, uh, you know, you have the, the frat boys are one of the, um, one of uh, Casanova Frankenstein's uh uh, criminal groups that he brings together uh the frat boys the rappers um a big business is one of them which i thought was hilarious yes uh, disco stuff yep and it just it occurred to me that again you know thinking about how people could not like the film um it's almost too rich it's almost like eating a, a very, <laughs> yes. very rich cake you know it's yeah it's, there's just so much going on there um, that it might be just too much for, for, for a lot of people. I don't think I knew Eddie Izzard uh, when I first saw the film. And I, I was wondering when I first saw it, if that was Kiefer Sutherland. And I, I realized how much he re- Kiefer Sutherland and Eddie Izzard remind me of one another, especially in that era. I thought he looked a lot like uh, the character Ace Merrill from Stand By Me, just a little bit older with the, the hair quaffed up and the, uh, the goatee. But Eddie is amazing. It's too bad we couldn't have had more of him, too, because uh, he's just, you know, wonderful to watch. Oh, and a sidebar, if I can throw it in, Dave. I don't know if, if this is a, a good one. This is almost like a, a, a Beatleism, but not. Um, okay, I'm a record geek. So I was immediately, like, drawn to him playing. Uh, well, here, uh, this is the note I have. Um, Tony P, played by Izzy. As Izzy Izzard is listening to the Bee Gees song Night Fever while holding their album Spirits Having Flown. And then we see a Polydor label uh, record spinning on the turntable. Now, the Bee Gees were on Robert Stigwood's RSO records uh, at, during the height of their popularity. And that's the one with the cow on the label. And Night Fever, the song, is on the Saturday night Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, not Spirits Having Flown Away. So that was odd to me, first of all, that like they were, they were showing, you know, Spirits Having Flown, yet it's not on there. Uh, and then I saw this red Polydor label, but it does turn out, I did a little research on it. it as of 1983, RSO Records went under and they were um, uh, absorbed by Polydor. So the label is okay, but not the jacket that he's looking at. So maybe, hey, maybe he's just looking at another album cover, right? Could be. Anyway, so if anybody else is a record freak like me and they're going, hey, what's going on there? That's what's going on. 
Well, I'll just try, uh, go ahead, Ira, please. Oh, yeah, yeah. Since you mentioned music, my nephew pointed this out to me. I had completely forgotten, but um, the in on the soundtrack is a, a Smash Mouth song called All Star. Oh, yes. And if you go to the video for All Star, you will see that the Mystery Men are actually featured in the All Star video. That's right. And the funny thing is that, uh, like, I don't know how this works in terms of licensing. But God, that song was in so many films in the late '90s, including Shrek. So I don't, I don't, I would have thought that there would have been a, at least a few years in which the song would have been licensed to one particular soundtrack, especially being a new song, right? Mm. But but apparently not. But it is nice that yeah, if you pull up uh, on YouTube uh, the the official All Star video, you do get the clips from from Mystery Men. Um, Troy, before we get to your the Beatles references, because we always like to have some Beatlesism in in our episode. <laughs> One thing that I missed during our our recent um, podcast of Galactic Rock. Because one of the, my favorite bands is the Bangles, and they have so many great songs, including going down to Liverpool. And I was listening to that again and watching a bit of the video, and I kept seeing little bits of the driver in the front seat. Oh, and right. The, and they're in the back seat, just yeah, yeah. dancing around. I mean, you see a part of his face, like his side, and I'm thinking, you know, if I see the whole face, that's Leonard Nimoy. And then they show the, the sort of the, the, the eyes upward. I think that's still Leonard, but they're not showing his whole face. Then later on in the video, they do show entirely, and that's Leonard Nimoy. And someone had put a nice comment about, you know, how wonderful it is again to see Leonard Nimoy in this video. So that's another example of someone in, you know, a science fiction more that's of a connection because right. he's more connected with Spock being in a rock and roll song. So that was kind of so. I'm sorry I missed that during our Black and Rock, but you do have a few Beatles references, I or at least one for Mystery Men, right? Well, actually, uh, I did have one now, and I ended up with a second one this morning as I was going through the comics um, that introduce uh, the flaming character, not the flaming character that introduce mystery men. So there is a scene which is sort of similar to uh, uh, the scene we get of the mystery men in the film where they're at a bar. Cause they, they do like to, uh, you know, go and wet the whistle after they've had an exploit. And uh, so in, Issue 17, <laughs> there's a little bit where Mr. Furious is at the bar with his friends. And uh, actually, the, what precedes it is uh, two flaming carrots. Uh, there's a standoff. There's a fake flaming carrot and the real flaming carrot. And they, they unmask the fake flaming carrot. And it turns out that it's Sam Donaldson. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! But then Sam Donaldson turns into uh, a zombie. And he wants the cherry cobbler from the buffet. Anyway, that's not the Beatles reference, but here it is. So Mr. Furious, uh, he's, uh, he's with the flaming carrot and he says, um, well, it says, first of all, Mr. Furious is brewing and he says, what's with this place? I tell you, if the Beatles had been treated like this, we'd still be listening to the Beach Boys. Which is like, wow, it's like there's a built-in Beatleism right there. Uh, and the other thing that I found interesting was on the Wikipedia page, the Flaming Carrot, one of his uh, catchphrases along with things like scat phrases like booty is ut, U-T, ut. Um, so Burden claims that he picked up Flaming Carrot's catchphrase ut from George Harrison on stage 
at Shea Stadium in the 1960s. This is the quote. The fans were trying to rush the stage and the police were trying to keep them behind the barricades. George Harrison points to one that gets through and says, but it's like, oops, it's just a goofy thing that's kind of childlike and fun. So there you go. Um, excellent. I'm glad that we can uh, work in uh, Beatles reference. One of the things, because we've only got a few minutes left before we start actually looking at some favorite quotes or favorite lines. So is there other things about Mystery Men that we want to get into before we start doing our favorite lines and well, then our dream and scream? Yeah, Troy Troy mentioned something that I think is, is kind of interesting. He talked about how the film really uh, promotes nonviolence and the Mystery Men do not uh, for instance, use guns, uh, and they do not try to use lethal force. Um, this is one of the few things that's actually quite different from the comic book. Uh, yes. in, in the comic books, they all have guns <laughs> at some point, and they're all shooting up, and they're all, like, really, really happily violent. Yes. Um, and I think, frankly, uh, it works much better in the film. I think what one of the things it does is it forces the film makers to find quirky, odd, nonviolent ways of dealing with bad guys. Uh, and so you get the scene with Doc Heller, you know, showing off all of his inventions for, uh, for nonviolent interventions. And they're really cool. Um, so I, I, I thought that was actually a, um, one, of, one of the few places where it diverges from the comic book, but it does so in, to very good effect. Yes. Love the blame thrower. Yes. We get the blame thrower and the can tornado, which uh, in the original cut of the film, the climax uh, is resolved with a can tornado. Um, and then test audiences uh, really responded well to um, the bowler and, and they wanted something with that. And so that was, that was redone. Um, yeah, so I've got the blame thrower, can tornado. Oh, the clothes shrinker. Um, <laughs> and I loved the, I mean, not that it was really, uh, non-lethal, although I guess it has no guns is the, uh, Herkimer battle jitney that they drive around and man, I want that now. Um, and you know, when I saw it recently, Ira looking for my note here, um, the psychofraculator. Totally reminded me of the oscillation overthruster from Buckaroo Banzai. And David mentioned the flux capacitator from uh, uh, Back to the Future. But um, just a great name, the psychofraculator. Um, the other thing we were talked about, and it's kind of neat because it it's almost connects with the other episode we did with Ira about Douglas Adams' uh, book, Hitchhikers is that, you know, the blame thrower is almost like that emotion thing where he, where, where, what it is, you get to see the other person's point of view and you do that. And then it gives that kind of effect, which I think is kind of cool. What was neat in the scene in mystery men was that he was mentioning, well, none of these are, these are non-lethal or these aren't really used for this purpose. And then they're all walking out the room thinking this is a waste of time, but then they can realize after, as a scene goes on where he's, gives an example or something that you can actually get some effect out of this. It also reminds me a bit of a team where they had a thing about not really using guns and no one getting hurt. And you get this sense of if a truck goes over a cliff kind of thing and it lands at the bottom, you'll actually hear this overdub of one person saying, are you okay? And the other person responding, yeah, are you okay? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Look 
you stupid bastard. You've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look, just a flesh wound. I, I was going to ask you guys before we uh, get towards the end. Uh, originally, I, I thought, well, well, maybe I'll just uh, see how you guys feel about um, playing uh, Fuck, Mary Kill with, uh, with the, the, the cast. But then I was like, no, that, that is not worthy of an elite cadre of podcasters like ourselves. Cadre. So instead, uh, I will ask you, if you could have any one superpower, what would it be? I know that right away, if I can jump in before. Yeah, I'll Give Ira sure. a chance to talk, because I've had this for like 30 or 40 years, this idea. This is more, would have been more useful back in the day where you had these labels on on Coke bottles, on plastic Coke bottles that you would have to peel the label off and see whether you won or not. Because I wanted the power to be able to see through dark liquids. So that way, <laughs> I'm the timer. So that way, what I would be able to do is see through the bottle and see whether it's a winner or not, and then be able to buy that one. So my ability would be to see through dark liquids. I like that. Would you? What would your name be? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I never got that. Yeah. Far. <laughs> um, I, uh, I mean, if I was, <laughs> I was, I almost qualified this really like a 10 year old. I was going to say, if I was like a real superhero, <laughs> I would go with the green lanterns ability to, uh, basically manifest anything that I wanted, you know, with my power ring. But, but Hey, that's, that's not real. Uh, if, if, if I could be a, uh, mystery men styled uh, superhero. My superpower would, I would be called the skipper and I would have the ability to skip great distances. Well, not great, but you know, impressive, like 10 yards. And uh, because I've always believed that skipping is the most efficient form of human movement. And if it didn't have this whole stigma of being too childlike, we'd be doing it now. Because it's so easy to do. It's so ergonomic. Anyway, I would want to be the skipper. Okay, very quickly. Um, I think I would want to have the ability to change people's minds. Um, mm. But if I was going to be a mystery man, then I think that the way it would work would be they would change their minds for like 10 seconds, and then they would go back to their old beliefs. All right, it's time to move on um, yeah. to... It's roughly 15 minutes left, which, as we know, is going to be longer than that. Uh, it's time for our occasional segment. These are a few of our favorite words. Uh, Troy and I and our guests select three or four or five quotes from what we like from the movie or book, whether that be one line or a paragraph or or something like that, and read our selections. Uh, these would be sections of writing that each of us wish we had written ourselves. These are words that move us either emotionally or just by their sheer brilliance. Uh, we may talk about why we think they are great and why we selected them. In some cases, it might be how poetic they are, how evocative they are, how they capture and or describe an image, how they capture a moment. Uh, these are a few of our favorite words. And I'm going to just start uh, if I can. And then if you guys want to jump in or I can do a few of these. The first one is a very short one. This is from the Sphinx. And he said, you must lash out with every limb like the octopus who plays the drums. I'll jump in with another one. Sure. Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, character actors. I think Ira agrees that Ricky Jay is, is maybe one of the most underrated uh, 
wonderful character actor. I remember him, of course, from an X-Files episode and a number of other things. And he is an actual magician beyond in real life and a character actor. So him being the publicist um, uh, with Captain Amazing in that limousine, and he says, look, I'm a publicist, not a magician. You want big news, you have to have big fights. A superhero needs a supervillain. And thanks to you, we've got none left. Right. Including, what was it, Mr. Death or Dr. Death, who died? (laughs) Um, Okay, I have a couple, and and both are from The Shoveler, because he's just such a a quotable character. Um, The first one, and I'm paraphrasing, because I don't know the exact wording. I didn't take notes. I should have. Was... I'm a really, I'm really good at shoveling, right? <laughs> and it's just the way, like, um, the, it, the way that line is delivered, right? William H. Macy is just so note perfect as the shoveler. Every line is just, mm. it's both laden with uh, meaning and absurd at the same time. Um, yes. So I really loved that one. And the other one I had was, we have a blind date with destiny, and she yes. ordered the lobster. I that's so good, right? And at first, I was like, "That's a really weird non sequitur." Uh, but then I, I thought about it more, and we haven't really gotten into this too much. But um, the main characters, that the mystery men, are working class characters, right? Yes. Um, and so to go on a blind date, and for have to have the blind date. <laughs> order the most expensive thing on the menu is actually a really bad thing to happen. So uh, it took me a while to figure out just what he was saying with that, but it's uh, either way. It's such a great line. It is. And you're right. It's funny that, uh, you know, there's something more to it than just a non sequitur. When you think of it like that, that is, it's actually, you know, true to his character. Yeah. And William H. Macy, just his dead pan strident, kind of delivery but he is an honest hard-working man that wants to provide for his wife and wants to do the right thing and provide a sort of like a symbol or someone that his son can look up to he's got all of this that we all like we identify with these characters which is what you know makes me love the film yeah and you know there's so many lines in this film that if if I was drinking, I would be doing spit takes for sure. Because and, and it's like every time I forget that that line is there, like those certain lines. Um, so for me, I had um, and I have so many Mister Furious. But I'll leave some behind here. And this one is just like the fact that they used this when when Mister Furious sees Casanova, Frankenstein, uh, the property blow up, and he says, "Mama pajama," and. That's which is like from a Paul Simon song, me and Julio down in the schoolyard. And to me, it's like, it's so such a non sequitur that I just like, I lose it every time. And also when he references laughing and says, you bet your sweet, sweet bippy. It's like, wow, he, he really went back for that one. Um, let's see. So I have also uh, do me a favor and don't punch my clock because I'm a Pantera's box. You do not want to open. <laughs> uh like and he always gets deeper the, the more he says you know the, the worse it gets the deeper his uh his uh nonsense is um uh let's see i have uh oh also i, I believe i've got this right i might have the end not quite right i think it's uh 
I don't need a compass to tell which way the sun shines. Or does he say sun blows? Does he say sun shines? Anyway, um, but anyway, it's it's really odd and and awful. And then my last one would be from the bowler when uh, when uh, the invisible boy is not invisible, is certainly not invisible, but is certainly naked. And uh, and uh, the bowler says, maybe you should put some shorts on or something if you want to keep fighting evil today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's just it's just so well said, so well delivered. Those are mine, David. So you want to yeah. give us the? Uh, <laughs> so I will finish with that. Just one that one piece that we're all expecting, which is one of the great moments, uh, the shoveler. And this is almost this whole parody of the Saint Crispin speech from Henry V. This is egg salad. It's loaded with cholesterol. The wife won't even let me touch it. Hardly seems to matter now. As chances are, we're already dead. Amazing is gone. There's no use waiting for the cavalry because as of this moment, the cavalry is us. Oh, yeah, but I don't want to get fraculated. Psycho fraculated. Still get fraculated. This is our fight, whether we like it or not. Just we few. We're not your classic superheroes. We're not the favorites. We're the other guys. We're the guys nobody ever bets on. But I'll tell you what I think. I think you and that ball of yours have an appointment that you've got to keep. Invisible boy, I think it's time you were seen. Sphinx, you have trained us well. And Dr. Heller, you might just have given us the edge we need. And Spleen, I don't want to stand behind you, but I'll fight beside you with pride. Jeff, you've got a rare and beautiful gift. The city needs you tonight. And Roy, in all the years I've known you, I've never seen you walk away from a fight. Well, you lifted a city bus once, man. I think you've got what it takes to handle Casanova. We're all in over our heads, and we know it. But if we take on this fight, those of us who survive it will forever after show our scars with pride and say, that's right, I was there. I fought the good fight. So what do you say? Do we all gather together and go kick some Casanova butt? Or do I eat this sandwich? I say, what the fuck? Let's do it. Early in the film, the the main three uh, characters are talking about uh, Captain Amazing and his alter ego. And the the shoveler just refuses to believe (laughs) that uh, he and billionaire Lance, whatever his last name is, are the same person. Right? And I think this really goes to how the shoveler is both earnest and innocent at the same time. It's yes. just such a, a, a revealing character moment for him. Yeah. Yeah. And there's actually, uh, I want to say it's in the deleted scenes. I don't think it's in the film guys. You can let me know, but there's a scene um, where uh, he, he has left and captain, he has left the team and captain furious comes to bring him back. And he says, no, I promised my wife that I, that I'm done and I'm done. So that's it. But then uh, um, Mr. Furious reminds the shoveler of an oath that he took when he joined the team. And then he just feels duty bound, you know, because he made this oath, even though he has just recently also promised to his wife that he was going to quit, but he's like, so he goes with Mr. Furious uh, for the final battle. Dream casting. Yeah. 
Dreamcasting, baby. So Dreamcasting is where we take the best actors, living or dead, um, and we fill them into the roles of the film we are discussing, discussing, which is, of course, Mystery Men. So Dreamcasting. So Mystery Men featured Ben Stiller in the role of Mr. Furious Roy. William H. Macy was the shoveler, Eddie. Hank Azaria played Jeffrey with his alter ego being the Blue Raja. Janine Garofalo was the bowler, who was actually Carol. Paul Rubens was the spleen. Kel Mitchell played the Invisible Boy. Greg Kinnear was the amazing Captain Amazing, Lance Hunt. And Jeffrey Rush was Casanova Frankenstein. And those are the roles that we will be filling in with Dreamcasting. All right. So Mr. Furious, I wanted somebody with a lot of energy. Originally, I, I have two Zacks that I was considering. I first thought of Zach Della Roca, the vocalist for Rage Against the Machine. But I went with Zach Galifianakis of Between Two Ferns, a, a younger Zach Galifianakis as Mr. Furious. Um, and the toughest one I had because William H. Macy is so good as the shoveler. Like I, I had to sit for two days with this as a blank because I could not find somebody appropriate that could get anywhere near as, as good as William H. Macy. So first of all, I thought, and I wanted somebody that had a sincerity, sincerity to them. So I, I went with, I had Burt Lancaster, then Mickey Rooney. I thought Burt Lancaster was too big. I thought Mickey Rooney was too small. And I ended up with Burgess Meredith. So, so I'm going with Burgess Meredith, a younger Burgess Meredith, uh, as uh, the shoveler. For Mr. Furious, I picked mm-hmm. Sam Kinison, yeah. um, who I thought was about as furious as you can get. Um, and I saw him live with my, with my sister, uh, Carolyn, or my sister and Carolyn and I went to see him live. I didn't go to see him and my sister on stage kind of thing. So let's just clear that up. But Sam Kinison was one of a kind. Oh yeah. And he is about as furious as you get. And then if we don't go with Sam Kinison, I thought who is a sort of a furious comic of the last 10 or 20 years. And as a backup, maybe Lewis black. And when it comes to the shoveler, I, and you're exactly right about someone you can identify with, someone, the common man who has a good heart, who has that earnest, but that kind of thing, who can change people just through who he is. I was thinking of Jason Sudeikis in his role as Ted Lasso would be sort of like almost the perfect person to be the shoveler. And you are correct. William H. Macy, how can you not have him in that role? So, um, Ira, what do you got? Yeah, that was a tough one. Um, uh, for Mr. Furious, I chose Benedict Cumberbatch because um, he he can bring the anger. Um, for the shoveler, I'm I'm kind of switching things up a bit. I, I went a little old school. I think Jimmy Stewart would be great as the shoveler. You know, I just realized it, sort of reteaming the um, the Sherlock the Sherlock series. You could have. Um, Cumberbatch, and you could have Martin Freeman as well as the shoveler. I think he would also sort of do a nice, mm. uh, he's got that nice sort of everyman quality to him. Anyway, just yeah. thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, or Simon Pegg even, but you're right about yeah. Martin Freeman. So who do you have? I guess the next up is the Blue Raj and the Bowler. I went with um, 
uh, Kumail Nanjani, um, who was Dinesh on Silicon Valley, and he's in the Eternals and the Obi-Wan uh, series currently. I, th- I thought I'd go with him as the Blue Raja, um, and which maybe is a little too on the nose, I guess, you know, in the same way that the Blue Raja doesn't wear blue, it's sort of maybe, yeah, it's a, a little more on the nose. But anyway, the, the bowler, um, I went with Florence Pugh. Uh, from Black Widow, Midsummer, and Fighting with My Family. And um, I was impressed with her actually in Fighting with My Family. We know she can act, but she also can do physicality and humor as well. So there you go. For the Blue Raja, I was just looked, I'm just trying to remember who are some of the best kind of British slash uh, people of Indian India or Indian descent as actors that could actually do this role and i thought that dev patel might just be a bit too young for it because i was thinking someone who has to be in their like 40s or 50s or something like that so i was thinking ben kingsley could be one or naveen andrews Uh, maybe i'm getting too literal in this kind of thing but i just thought that that might work and then when it comes to the bowler i was thinking of rachel uh, vice or or reese um uh, might fit in well for that role and someone that would be similar to Janine Garofalo at the time. I think she was around 35 uh, when she uh, did the film. So maybe when Rachel Weiss was around that age, seems like almost perfect for that character. For the Blue Raja, uh, again, old school, I would go Henry Fonda. Oh, that would be sweet. I think that would be good. And uh, for the bowler, uh, I would go with Meryl Streep. Now, originally I had thought, well, a young Meryl Streep. Um, but then I thought, you know what, screw it. Meryl Streep can can do anything at any time in her career. So, you know, Meryl Streep young, Meryl Streep now. Yeah, she could she could do it now playing herself young. You know? yep. <laughs> now, right. you, you just with, made my mind go. <laughs> <laughs> so with Henry Fonda, Ira, let me ask you, uh, sort of what era did you imagine him uh, being the Blue Raja? Uh, fairly, fairly young. Henry. The Grapes of Wrath era. Uh, yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. So I mean, nice. Oxbow very, incident. very earnest, but yeah, uh, yeah. also somebody you could see still living with his mother. Yes. Yeah. What we have next are Spleen and Invisible Boy. Right. Uh, I went with Bill Hader from Barry and SNL uh, for the Spleen. Um, he does nice. awkward so well. Um, yes. And uh, for the Invisible Boy, although I think I've probably slotted him into other uh, Dreamcasts previously, I went with Donald Glover from Atlanta and Community and, and also from his childish Gambino music career. So for me, Jim Carrey, I thought would be the perfect spleen <laughs> and almost Jim Carrey from any uh, era. Uh, when it came to Invisible Boy, I was thinking of Kevin Hart, um, who I think is really underrated. Um, whenever I see him doing anything, I'm impressed as hell. And uh, maybe possibly Caleb McLaughlin, who I think is in Stranger Things, possibly. Uh, you do want someone fairly young um, in that role because they're sort of the the novice, the someone who has the power that you're a bit more unsure about, even though throwing forks, you think, what's going on with that? But those are the, <laughs> uh, the people I was thinking of. And Ira, what are you thinking? Uh, well, uh, for the spleen, I was thinking uh, one of the Corys, maybe Corey Heim, maybe Corey Feldman. You know, they're kind of interchangeable, so mm. either one would do. 
And uh, for The Invisible Boy, um, kind of colorblind casting and also old school, but uh, I think Claude Rains um, kind of has a lock on all the invisible characters. So. All right, you fools. You've brought it on yourselves. Everything would have come right if you'd only left me alone. You've driven me near madness with your peering through the keyholes and dipping through the curtains. And now you'll suffer for it. You're crazy to know who I am, aren't you? All right, I'll show you. There's a souvenir for you, and one for you. I'll show you who I am and what I am. <laughs> yeah, Invisible Man still stands up today. So for Captain Amazing, I'm thinking confidence, arrogance, self-promoter. Uh, I went with uh, Tom Brady, formerly of the New England Patriots and the Tampa Bay Bucks. I just thought, here's a guy who could actually do this. Uh, so there's my Captain Amazing, Tom Tom Brady. And I like my, that. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, my Casanova Frankenstein. Jeffrey Rush does such a great job in this role. I mean, despite the fact that it's a comedy, there are points in this film where I'm afraid of this character. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I don't want to be in the same room with that guy. Um, and I feel like in a, some way, like I might've copped out a bit because I'm sure I've used this actor multiple times, but I went with Tom Hiddleston. Um, so I went with Patrick Wilson as um, Captain Amazing. And no, I went you know, with Tim Curry as Casanova Frankenstein. I was going to say, David, that uh, Patrick Wilson, his character that he plays in the Aquaman, Aquaman film uh, is not that far from Captain Amazing. So, yeah, I think that's a good call for Captain Amazing. And who was your, sorry, who was your uh, Casanova Frankenstein? Uh, let me just go back down to it. My, it was Tim Curry. Excellent. Oh, and we have to go with Ira next. Um, yep. Okay. Well, again, maybe I was just having in, indecision while I was uh, choosing these uh, actors. Um, but for Captain Amazing, I think any of the Chris's, uh, Chris Pine, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pratt, they would all be uh, quite quite good at, the, at that role. I think there's four of them, I think. There's I think there's Chris's four. I only caught reason. three. We didn't mention this earlier, but Ira, you and I think you did accept this that you are like our third old fart kind of thing, honorary third old fart. Yeah, I'm waiting. Oh, and, and our first three time guest. So, oh. as kudos, thank you, thank you for you know blessing us with uh, your presence for a third time. Thank you for I having have. me, it's, it's yeah. a great load of fun. Yeah, but let's hold off on that till the yeah. end. Uh, in terms of Casanova Frankenstein. I do think Jeffrey Rush was a little over the top uh, with his performance. So I would have gone with somebody like Boris Karloff. I was thinking the same thing. And uh, what, so what age would you go with uh, for, for Boris? Uh, it'd have to be mid-career, you know, roughly yeah. 40-ish. Uh, okay. 50-ish. I mean, Casanova Frankenstein has to be old enough right. for disco 20 years later. Yes. Right? So... It's got to be at least middle age. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. It's funny. I was thinking of both uh, Karloff and Lugosi and I was sort of, I was leaning towards Karloff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking Karloff or Christopher Lee, um, who would also have been a good choice. Um, oh yeah. For that reasoning. But yeah, I'd already 
done too many multiple things. So I'm like, I can, I can <laughs> make a definitive thing here. Yeah, found it, found it. The four Chris's of Hollywood. So these are last names. Right. Evans. Evans. Evans, Hemsworth, Pratt, and P- like they're so known and everyone knows it. They're, therefore, yeah. that's actually a meme when you refer to the four Chris's. Just like you've got the two core, when you refer to a phrase like the two Corys, we know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. So we want to get on to Schrodinger's cast. And sorry about that. We all sort of uh, lost it for a second. We want to go into Schrodinger's cast. And why don't you, because I have a little write-up at the yeah. top here yeah, let's, about just so what people, Schrodinger's cast. Just so people think we have not totally lost our minds or that, you know, we're having a stroke. Um, what Schrodinger's cast is, It's it, it used to be called, what did it used to be called, David? Well, we had something called outside the box, right? Just as you right? Right. And then, and then we were, I think, trying to remember what it was at some point, and we just came up with Schrodinger's cast. Um, (laughs) How's that for? That's a gripping story. Um, Anyway. So, yeah, outside the box casting, scream casting, that's what it was. Yeah, scream casting was the play on dream casting. And uh, where we put unlikely people into these roles. Um, Sometimes there is something that connects the people in the Schrodinger's cast. David often goes with some sort of theme. Sometimes I do. Uh, but today I will be unveiling my random cast generator 9000 software. Um, and, and that's where I will be uh, getting my cast from. So uh, should I start, David? Yes, uh, please. All right. So let me just hit enter on the uh, random cast generator 9000. And in the role of Mr. Furious, I have been given... Goliath from the Lutheran produced Davy and Goliath animation uh, from the 1960s. Also, that's Art Clokey who did the, the actual animation, Art Clokey of Gumby fame. And that ties back to Bob Burton who did Gumby cartoons. But that's just me making the connection, not the random cast generator. Um, Troy, if I can, a quick comment. Um, how random a choice, sorry. But anyway. Well, Davey, <laughs> what I did, Davey, was I... Yeah, I don't know. It's I don't oh know the God. science of it. I just oh, I no. uploaded the app and here it is. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay, so the shoveler from the random cast generator, 9,000... I have Barbara Felden, Agent 99 from Get Smart as, as the shoveler. And she was a cutie, one of my favorite, one of my first crushes, probably, along with Susan Day. Okay, so I did not go as random as uh, you have. I do love your randomness because that, you never know, creativity can come from randomness and order can too. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's not get into the whole universe thing. That's but right. what I did, I did something a bit odd. There are three films that had Oscars for four specific things. Picture, director, actor, and actress. It was ad- there was a film, uh, it happened one night back in the 30s. Then there was uh, The Silence of the Lambs. And then there was As Good As It Gets. So what I did was I took for these eight roles, mm. four of them I populated with actors or actresses from as good as it gets. And the other four I did from the silence of the lambs. Now for each of these pair, like for example, Mr. Pierce and shoveler, I had to pick an actor actress 
from one of the films and then I had to pick an actor actress from the other film. Right. So what I've done is with Mr. Furious, I picked Jack Nicholson from As Good As It Gets. But of course, we do remember him, how furious he was in The Shining, where he's going through that door with the axe. Danny boy! Um, then I picked as the shoveler, I picked Scott Glenn from The Silence of the Lamb. So that's my pair off from my Schrodinger's cast. And I know our minds are spinning right now. So I like that. Um, Scott Glenn actually works well, yeah. Oh, he's very good. I, I I do like him as an actor. So, Ira, what do you got? Uh, okay, for Mr. Furious, um, Tor Johnson. Oh, there's a reason. There's a reason you're back for a third time, my friend. <laughs> um, and thank you. And for the shoveler, <laughs> John Malkovich. Oh, God, that's so good. <laughs> I just, those two together, that's so great. Yeah, I, uh, I can yeah. imagine them playing off each other. <laughs> yeah um there would be that would that would be incredible like that would just be they would have all sorts of comic gold in that that is okay let me just let me just try this one line here okay this this will be tor johnson doing a mr furious line lone wolf hunts alone johnny there you go (laughs) (laughs) which is the lone wolf hunts alone johnny but said as tor johnson All right. Okay. So Troy, you've got your Shortinger's cast for Blue okay. Lodge and the Bowler next. Okay. Let me just hit enter on the random cast generator 9000. And it's given me Andrea Martin from SCTV, Black Christmas, and Cannibal Girls. That would be my Blue Raja. And uh, for the Bowler. Okay. Looks like I have. Recording artist uh, who sung Snowbird and Cotton Jenny, Anne Murray. Anne Murray as the bowler. It's funny how we've got a heavily female cast and also a couple Canadians. Yeah, and without that random generator, would we have ever thought of Anne Murray in a role on our Shortager's cast? But <laughs> she might be so. perfect for the bowler. Yeah, maybe. The Snowbird. Can you imagine Snowbird throwing that? Strike. <laughs> that's right. Um, I've got, because I guess I'm next, but yeah, that's so random. But sorry, I've said that before. So I'm going to combine two. There's Blue Raja and the Bowler from The Silence of the Land. I picked Jonathan Demi as the Blue Raja. And for the Bowler, I picked Helen Hunt from As Good As It Gets. So those are my two there. Oh, wow. Another another former crush is here. <laughs> Oh, definitely. So I have a, a mini theme of people who've been in Mel Brooks movies. Uh, it doesn't come up every time, but it comes up in a couple of different places. For the Blue Raja, I would go with Harvey Corman. Yeah, I love that. A- and for the Bowler, uh, not part of the theme, but uh, I'd be interested to see what Gal Gadot would do with the part. It's amazing how just one role, like, like one does fairly well and one does whatever you're doing in your career and so on. And especially with the four Chris's and Gal Gadot and some other people, you suddenly have that role and, you know, a Wonder Woman and it just vaults you into some stratosphere <laughs> and you still go beyond that. Like you can still do other roles. You're not have to be, you know, the Benedict Cumberbatch as an example. He can do anything. He's not stuck in the role of Dr. Strange. He can do whatever he wants, but it does make you even, you know, more aware to the public 
you know, with yeah. that number of people watching your film. Now, I think we need to give some thought and appreciation to Ira's casting here for Schrodinger's cast. So just imagine scenes that would have the bowler, Gal Gadot, with Tor Johnson, Mr. Furious. <laughs> Like those, those scenes would be great. Like the, the tryout scene that would just, that would be gold. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, I'm up and it's the spleen. My Schrodinger's cast for the spleen, random cast generator, 9,000 hitting enter. And I've got horror writer, racist recluse and sexophobe HP Lovecraft uh, as the spleen. <laughs> So that's an interesting one. I'm not sure if uh, how I feel about this algorithm. Anyway, <laughs> um, Invisible Boy. Let's do it. Random cast generator 9000. And I have Regis Philbin of <laughs> Regis and Kathy Lee and the Bad News Bears go to Japan. I am going to go with, uh, we're on the spleen for, from the Silence of the Lambs, Jodie Foster. Is going to let it rip. <laughs> now, I'm just trying to imagine that. And I yeah. thought, I can't do that. And I said, why can't I? Yes, you can. What, you know, pull my, can you imagine Jodie Foster saying, pull my finger? Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> that's an Oscar moment. That is. And that's the sign of your moxie, David. Yeah, I've got moxie beyond moxie. I don't know what yeah. I'm saying at this point. You have maxi then, moxie. Maxi Mox, my, my Moxie's Maxi out. Yeah. Out. Uh, okay. So um, before we get canceled, before the end of this episode, we only got like five minutes left. I'm going to go Yeah. Sorry. Can we just say that this episode was brought to you by Maxi Moxie? Oh, okay. Go no, ahead. No. Go ahead. So um, as good as it gets, and, and one of our favorite actors, Cuba Gooding Jr. as Invisible Boy, uh, for the spleen, I went back to Mel Brooks. I would choose uh, Marty Feldman. Uh, for the Invisible Boy, I yep. would actually choose Samuel L. Jackson. Mm. Oh, very good. Choices. I think there's a, you know, a, a hidden dramatic depth to Invisible Boy that he could really bring out. This, and this, he also swears a lot. Yeah, yeah. What a great cast! You could have frat boys on a plane. Could be the sequel to this. <laughs> Yeah, or what was Disco that Boys. character you were talking about? Mm. Who was the character? Disco Boys were fantastic. There was just so much in this. Like, how can you not like it? Okay, my brain is melting. Uh, um, Troy needs to bring it home. Yeah, yeah, Troy. What do you? Oh, got I'm up for? now. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I've already hit the random cast generator nine thousand while I was waiting. So uh, apparently, for the uh, role of Captain Amazing, I have from Cannonball One and Two, Dom DeLuise. Very nice. Yeah. And somebody who we have offered up in the past uh, for roles um, in the role of Casanova Frankenstein, the random cast generator 9000 has given me Paul Williams from Battle of the Planet of the Apes and Phantom of the Paradise. Which is. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, and he could be, like, compensating, you know? He's one of those criminals who's compensating for size, and he's just, like, projecting all of this evil. Yeah, absolutely. Um, To bring it home for me, um, I thought that if you want to take an actor from As Good As It Gets to play, 
the Captain Amazing role that Greg Kinnear played, I figured I would pick Greg Kinnear to play the Greg Kinnear role. And it fit in perfectly. <laughs> and then when it comes to Jeffrey Rush's character, which was Casanova Frankenstein, I went from the Silence of the Lambs and I went with Anthony Hopkins. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think those pair off fairly well. And I want them to have the same hair, too. That would be great. Well, Anthony Hopkins definitely works. You don't think Greg Kinnear is just a little too on the nose? Oh, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> okay. All right, Ira, you're going to bring it home. But we've done it before. Here. We've done you're it before. Bring it home. <laughs> yep. Yeah, bring it home, sir. You're the Jean Valjean of the of the Shortinger's cast. For Captain Amazing, I went with Anthony Mackie. He's been a couple of superheroes now, so I figured he could probably step into the role fairly easily. And my last choice for Casanova Frankenstein. Uh, another person from a Mel Brooks movie, I would go with Rick Moranis. Oh, would also have to be compensating quite, quite substantially. I think that's great. Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis has been on some of our lists recently too. He's going to be, we should actually come up with just a list of who makes it uh, the most. I was hoping somebody would say size noodles because, uh, size noodles came up on our, uh, uh, our galactic rock episode. And it's just fun to say size noodles. And Sice Noodle shouldn't be ruled out for Captain Amazing. I mean, just, you know, don't just drop it right away or just say no. Like, think about it. Yeah, sure. And then drop it. But Yeah. I, uh, that is an amazing cast you have there, Ira, for your uh, Schrodinger's cast. Well, I have to say, again, I think this is because, you know, you are unofficially the third old fart, Ira. but. Um, uh, this is the first time I think I've touched on every single note I had for a show. So that's, that's, that's kind of freaking me out a little bit, but uh, I also want to, uh, as we're about to wrap up, I wanted to uh, wish you both belated birthdays as you are both summer birthday babies and have both recently had your thing. I'm, I'm a December kid, so it's going to take a while, but uh, yeah, hope you and everybody out there has a great remainder of the summer. If you're listening in the summer of 20. 22 but uh we're almost there eh, david yeah just about and i'm official like like i know that we started this podcast and i had this idea why don't we just and i'm so glad that you accepted Troy, the idea of why not just two old farts talk sci-fi and yeah. i thought why the hell and then you were so cool to say yeah let's go with that well and you got but, down you got down on your knee uh yes. in a very public forum i think it was sky dome and we we're on the jumbotron and you said Troy, will you accept this podcast? And I said, yes, I will. Yeah, but I'm actually <laughs> officially an old fart now because I turned 60 in on June 20. So I am now an old fart. So I'm Woo! quite proud and happy of that. But is it really a matter of age? I, I think of it more as a state of mind. Yeah. And I th- I thought it was more about the age of the flatulence, not so much, you know, how old we yes. were. Yes, and that's where I was going. That's where, and so thank you so much, Troy, for jumping in with that, because I remember we did this and we just dropped it like a hot potato. You had this wonderful idea of rating films with toots. Yeah, and we, we would say, because we're too old farts, so we would say, oh, we give that 
film four out of four toots. And we maybe have a sound effect that might sound like, well, you know what it might sound like. And the fact that we've got a film here with, with uh, Mr. Flatulence almost uh, uh, the spleen is kind of neat because we are the, the, the two old farts or three old farts in this case. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, with the Beatles and the final Beatle reference, you know, where you had the four, the four Beatles, and you said, "Well, he's known. This person is known as the fifth Beatle." There were a few people in that yeah. category. Well, I guess Ira, you're the third fart. Yeah, yeah. It's an honor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we'll get back to that. But anyway, that is our Mystery Men episode. Thank you so much, Ira, for joining us. Oh, as always, it was lots of fun. Real good time. Yeah. Uh, remember to check us out on our socials. Uh, check out the website. Uh, it's 2numeric2of.ca. Uh, Facebook is a really great place to find us other than the website. Um, it's Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. We have a Twitter account for some reason. It's, it's, it's currently been shut down by Twitter. I don't know what I did, but, uh, I will, I will look into that. You have, have a look yourselves. Maybe we're up by now. It was at Two Numeric Two Old Farts Sci-Fi. And, uh, we are out there on your favorite podcast provider, but you must know that if you're hearing us. So, um, have a look and tell people and whatnot, write graffiti about us wherever you like. Um, and yeah, that's us. We are two old farts. Thanks for, for checking us out. I am David Clint and I am Troy Harkin. See you all for our next episode of two old farts talk sci-fi.